It's horrible in Adelaide at the moment. It's cold. It's miserable. Everybody's sick. Everyone's sick. And when they're not sick, they're just waiting to get sick again. Or they're looking after someone who's sick. Yes. So go for it. If Mills and Boons floats your boat, go nuts. Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Paula. I'm Andrea. <laughs> Welcome, Andrea, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's I've listened for a long time. So. <laughs> long time listener, first time host. Yeah, slightly nerve wracking <laughs> to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you. Uh, Andrea is a relatively new mm-hmm. staff member for us, but still you've been with City of Marion for a year. Yeah, probably about a year and a half, coming up to two years, but there's been a maternity leave break in there. Yes. So it's a bit so. bits and pieces. Why don't you tell us a bit about your work background? Sure thing. So for a long time in my 20s and 30s, I worked in bookshops in Melbourne. So I worked for a long time as a children's bookseller. And then I worked for the Mary Martin bookshop as a book buyer. So that was a super fun one where I got to buy for all the categories. And it was like a dream job. And then I got really interested in how books get made. So I ended up working for Macmillan Publishing for a while. So I worked for their education team and my job was to coordinate their sales campaign. So that was a really interesting one, seeing how do books get made, what's the editorial process like, how do books get distributed. So it was really nice to be on the other side of that. But I really missed talking to people about books. So Mm. I moved to the Yarra Plenty Library Service in Melbourne, which is a really, really fantastic service, really innovative. It's got really great people and really lovely communities. And I worked there as the reading coordinator. So my role was to organise events for children and adults to make sure they were getting access to author events and promoting reading across the community. So I did lots of kids events and lots of stuff for grown-ups too. So it was a perfect balance of the things that I've done before. And I'm really, really happy to be here in Marion. I took a bit of a break and I travelled overseas and learnt to speak German very badly, (laughs) which thankfully plays no role in my current job. So (laughs) you will never hear me speaking bad German at the library. (laughs) I mainly work for the kids team here. So if you've got young kiddos and you've brought them along to any of our children's programs, we may have already met. So I do lots of story times. I'm in the branch at Hallett Cove too. So if you're ever around, you can come and say hi. Yeah. And we can chat about books for young and old. (laughs) So as you can hear... Yep, Andrew's got lots of experience with books. So I thought she was the perfect person to invite on the podcast. Thank you so much. So that, yeah, we can have a chat. And we were going to be chatting about Here Goes Nothing by Steve Toltz. We had big ambitions. We did. And great plans. But, but we're going to do something a bit different this month, something we've never done before, which is that we're going to talk about those times in your life when you're actually having difficulty getting into reading. So this was prompted by me because (laughs) for the first time since starting this podcast, I could not force myself to read the book. And it had nothing to do with the quality of the book or how good it was or anything like that because I hardly got into it at all (laughs) to be able to say either way. But I just had a whole bunch of things happen to me sort of at once this month. Not all of it bad, but it was just a lot and... So we thought it would be a good idea to talk about how mental health affects your ability to read. 
And I printed off this really great article. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This article called Mental Illness Can Make It Hard to Read, Here's Why and What You Can Do. Now, I'm not saying I'm mentally ill. (laughs) At least I hope not. I don't think it has to be as severe as mental illness. In this article, she talks about PTSD and trauma and that sort of thing, which you know, obviously lots of people are suffering from, and I don't think I would rise to that level, but certainly I've just had some challenges this month. And I think that some of what is in this article can apply to anybody experiencing more stress than they're used to dealing with. Do you find, Andrea, do you have, have you had different times in your life when you have struggled to read? I've had so many times in my life when I've struggled to read. I think it's really common, even when Mm. you're a bookish person and I'm one of those people when I finish reading a book that I've really loved something about the experience of reading it makes me feel like I'm myself it makes me Mm. feel like I've done something that is at the core of who I am and Mm. what I love and yet I struggle to read really frequently there are times like you're saying when life feels really overwhelming and reading can be one of those things that can be really hard to sustain during Mm. those periods it can be one of the first things that goes but it's also I think when you are struggling with those periods of low motivation or periods where you're maybe you're not sleeping very well or you're feeling anxious or you've got a lot on your plate so your mind is kind of racing it can be that problem that you sometimes find in mental illness in that reading is one of those activities that can actually be really good for you during those processes it can help you calm yourself down it can help you take a break from yourself by kind of immersing you in another world but it can be really hard to take the first step and actually start doing that. So I think lots of people, particularly at the moment, in workplaces, I think all of us have really disrupted unusual workplaces at the moment. People with young children, you're not sleeping very well. Or even on a more lighthearted note, there is so much really, really fantastic popular culture that competes for people's time at the moment. So I think there's lots of different ways our reading can be interrupted. Oh, I think um, and there's, it's super common. There's so much relatable in what you just said. I related to so much of it, starting with um, you talking about being a bookish person, and I also identify myself as a bookish person. And I think a lot of us in the library wear that as a badge of pride. And as you say, we talk a lot about the benefits of reading for your mental health. So it's really difficult as a proponent of all those things, yeah. and as a person who works in the library and who does a podcast about books, yeah. to be sitting there. So, thinking I'm the one who always says how important it is to read and yet I cannot force myself to crack this book open and what is going on and in this article that I just referenced she talks about exactly that as well and we're going to talk about some things that you can do to get over this reading slump and one of the first things or actually the first thing she says is stop tying your identity to reading yes which I thought was really interesting I think you can feel I can feel when I talk about this stuff myself I get this slightly anxious feeling because reading is not just about who I feel as I am as a person and what I love to do and how I feel connected to the world it's also like you're saying it's our job you know we get people coming in and part of our job is to connect them with a really good book or a really good resource so you can feel in the back of your head this like mounting alarm going (laughs) do as they say not as I do (laughs) we're doing lots of reader advisory training at the moment Mm. and we've had um you have a few moments where you go blank and you're thinking, oh, no, but this is this is meant to be who I am this and is what my I do. Thing. Yeah. So I think that sense of 
being really kind to yourself and I think having these slumps is part of being a bookish person it's not a kind of a a slippage in your identity it's part of what it means to be a bookish person and understanding your relationships to books and your relationships to reading and how it fits into your life and how at times it doesn't fit very well into your life and it's really hard. And And that's okay though. That's absolutely okay. That's part of the experience. She says exactly that. So many of us bookworms make the mistake of reducing ourselves to our love of reading and writing. So the second we stop enjoying the act of reading, we feel like frauds or we feel like we don't know who we are. That's a lot of pressure to put yourself under, friend. Take a moment. Think about who you are outside of reading and writing. What hobbies do you like? What ones would you like to pick up? Practice that and enjoy it yeah such good advice I think that's really important to remember that we talk a lot about reading is good for you for x y and z Mm. reading should also be pleasurable it's not meant to be homework I think sometimes there's a language around reading that's about self-improvement or or improving your personal health or learning about other worlds or improving your empathy or doing all those sorts of things and I think reading is fantastic because it can do lots of that stuff But first and foremost, it should be really pleasurable. It should be really enjoyable. It should make you feel good. It shouldn't feel like a chore. It shouldn't feel like a job. And it's fine if, you know, occasionally it doesn't feel that way (laughs) and you need a break or you need to chat to other people or you need some help getting back into your groove. So true. That's why I feel kind of conflicted about how we approach reading with children in schools Mm -hmm. because we often make it homework. And so then it feels like a chore and then so many children get put off and then don't foster that love of reading from an early age. I think that's really true. And I think it's also one of those contradictory moments where we feel like a certain anxiety, like we have to get the kids reading or else Mm. they won't be reading. But all the research suggests if you take a little step back and you let children follow their own interests. So if you have a child who's really into computer games, for example, take them down and show them at the library. They've got all these great non-fiction books about how you can code or the history of programming or the history of games or there are all these really wonderful early readers that take you inside the world of the game and you can be the different characters. So sometimes I think parents have this anxiety of like, that's not really reading. Yes, It's graphic- a book and there's words, but it's not a real thing. And graphic novels, not really yeah. reading. And audiobooks, not really reading. Exactly. And all of that. But all of that counts. Exactly. And all of the research says that if you want kids to become really strong, engaged readers who you know, feel confident with books and who love books, let them follow their interests, let them pick their own books and make it your job to show them how big the world of reading Mm. and language is and that there is a place in that world for their interests. So marrying that up, I think, is really important, but it can feel counterintuitive. You can be like, Mm. no, 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 that's not... That's not the good stuff. You have to read the good stuff. (laughs) Well, that leads very well into the second point in this article, which is read books you actually like. So it doesn't have to be the classics. It doesn't have to be literary. Just read what you're gravitating to, what's pulling you in at that moment. And I think be really shameless about what you enjoy as well. Like throw out any ideas you have about good books and bad books and proper literature, not proper literature, just... Ignore it as much as you can and just go with what you love. Go with what excites you and what interests you. Every time I get a cold, all I want to do is curl up and read really generic crime. I don't (laughs) want to read like the really innovative stuff. I don't want to read the stuff that's got really fantastic language or critically engages with blah, blah, blah. I want the stuff that's like 
procedural, procedural, procedural. <laughs> and that doesn't deviate and that doesn't cheat at the end. And that doesn't make him any comments to make on the genre. It's just like a perfect distillation of all the pleasures of the genre. So that's what I curl up and I read. If you're a big reader, it can be great to know all of this stuff about the discussions around genre or the discussions around literature. But I think it's also really important to know when to put that aside mm. and just take pleasure in what you're doing and do it kind of shamelessly like, comfort comfort reading yeah like don't have any of those like my embarrassing read is like yes. just drop language like that like just forget it oh so true yeah like the mills and boone being your guilty yeah. pleasure nah you love mills there's and no Boone's. guilt go for it there's nothing <laughs> wrong with wanting to read about people getting raunchy in sports cars on the coast of italy with like incredible disposable income like why wouldn't you want to read about that it's horrible in Adelaide at the moment it's cold it's miserable everybody's sick everyone's sick and when they're not sick they're just waiting to get sick again or they're looking after someone who's sick yes so go for it if Mills and Boone's floats your boat go nuts yeah that's right yeah absolutely the third one she has here is something I just mentioned which is try audiobooks yeah and some people as we've discussed think that audiobooks are cheating that they're not actually reading but no they count and you can use your library apps like Libby and BorrowBox they both have audiobooks you can access them for free you don't need to get a paid subscription to somewhere all that is available to you with your library card so just you can just plug in zone out well not I guess not totally zone out yeah. <laughs> I've done that a few times with audiobooks. Yeah, it's and then not you have ideal. To rewind, rewind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's great. And I think audiobooks can be really helpful for when you are feeling really overwhelmed. And it can just be that thing that might get you back into your regular reading habits. Mm. So for me, I think really good advice sometimes if you're having trouble reading is to try something different. Yes. Just break it up, try something new. And trying an audiobook could be the thing that really helps you. It could be the thing you read it in bed with a cup of tea, mm. you read it on the train or yes. in public transport, you have it going in the car. Yep. They might also find that you listen to something that you don't usually listen to on audio. See if there's a new genre, a new author, a new trend that kind of interests you. And I think that's a really great way of kind of making your reading world a bit bigger. Mm. And it totally counts. Yes. If anyone tells you it doesn't, you can tell them to rack off. And so does reading short stories and interesting articles, which is the fourth point that she makes. Short stories, poetry, magazine or newspaper articles, all of that is available also through your library apps. Magazines Mm -hmm. are available on both Libby and Borrowbox as well. All of that counts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that can be a really good way of overcoming like little mental hurdles that you're Mm. feeling that I'm not reading and if you're feeling guilty for not finishing things or you're starting things and picking them up I think easing back into reading with short stories is really fantastic I think it just gives you that sense of achievement like you Mm. can sit down you can read a short story maybe 10-15 minutes and it gives you that sense of being connected to reading again and I think also there's lots of really fantastic long-form journalism available Mm. so that can be that thing we were just chatting about, about trying something new. So, mm. for example, I know The Guardian has a thing called The Long Read, The Guardian newspaper. Mm. So it's usually a longer bit of in-depth reportage. And that's something I like to read on the train. So if I'm not going to read my book, mm-hmm. I'll break that open. And that, you know, it, I think non-fiction can do things that fiction can do really well as well. Like mm. take you to these incredible places, these unusual 
stories. So that has the long read on The Guardian is one that I go to a lot. And oh, yeah. that, it's really immersive as well. So it has some of the pleasures of reading. And you get that sense that you've started something and you finished something. Yep. And that even just as like a little psychological hump to jump over, I think can be really helpful. Fantastic. So that's a little plug for that one too, which yes. is also free. Novellas, I think, can be really, really helpful. So I think those short novellas that can give you, again, that sense of over, you know, you started something and you finish something. So my last reading slump, I read a short novel by Anna Kavan called Ice. It's a kind of a cult classic. It's been around for a little while, but it's ostensibly about this kind of man pursuing this young woman across this kind of dystopian landscape, this kind of frozen, strange world. It had a bit of a critical resurgence again in light of the Me Too stuff, this idea of this very toxic masculinity, this man chasing this woman who has no interest in being chased or found across this really ravaged landscape Mm. and these images in there this frozen icy landscape and then he's always imagining her like this ice sculpture this not really a fresh and blood kind of human Mm. woman she's partly his longings partly his imaginings partly his desires like a kind of object he pours his desires into really objectifying absolutely and it's really interesting that Annika Van was actually a pen name her real name escapes me now and that she also did lots of artwork and she also often drew herself in this icy image with silver hair and very translucent skin so it's a really personal kind of book I think about her experiences she was married off to a much older man when she was a younger woman so that was a short novel and again you're able to read it in a day it's a thing Mm. that I've been meaning to get around to reading every now and then and all of a sudden just reading this short novel made me feel like who I was again and I was like right okay I'm back like you feel (laughs) so I think that can be a really good one as well looking for short stories looking for shorter non-fiction looking for shorter novels that maybe you know, won't demand as much of you time-wise or mentally can be really good. I put in another plug. There's a novel called Intimacies by Katie Kinomura. So if you're looking for another short novel, came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's based in The Hague. It's the story of a translator. So she obviously listens in at the International Criminal Court there. So her job is to translate between these lawyers and usually men accused of fairly horrific war crimes. So she talks about the kind of intimacy of being the only two people in the room who understand each other. Mm. And so there's that experience at work. Then there's these experiences in her life. She's only recently moved to The Hague. She doesn't speak Dutch properly, so there's this sense of not quite understanding what's going on around her, of being outside of a language and the kind of weird loneliness or intimacy of being by yourself outside of a language. Mm. And then relationships with men and women throughout the book. So each short chapter is about a particular type of intimacy. So the intimacy between lovers who actually aren't communicating very well, mm-hmm. the intimacy between friends who have a mounting tension between them. So it's about what you say, what you don't say. They're very short chapters. So it's another really good plug if you're looking just for a short novel. It's only, I don't know, maybe 110 pages. Wow. Very generously spaced. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, important. that's another really good one. I think there's just a couple of short ones that I've read recently in my own reading slump that have really made me feel like, Okay, I'm good to go. Yeah, Stop those are there. some fantastic book recs. So they good. both sound good. Yeah, both are great. Yeah. yeah, I should maybe try those. The other thing, and you touched on it a little bit, is competing media. You, Andrea, talked about uh, getting obsessed with succession. I'm so obsessed with it. <laughs> we finished season three last night and I'm distraught. Oh, I'm like, that's it, isn't what it? What are they going to do? We don't, yeah, because when does season four come out? I think next year, but okay. I did confirm that they have started filming. Mm. So that was the first thing I checked. I was like, <laughs> 
long am I going to have to wait? <laughs> but yes, they're filming now, so hopefully next year, which feels yes. a long, long oh, way yeah, away. It yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> but those competing media can be difficult when you just don't feel like you have that mental capacity to immerse yourself into reading because it is a different sort of uh, focus that you need compared to looking at your phone or watching tv so I think it's a really good point that you acknowledge that just sometimes it's okay it's okay if that's all you can manage and one thing like as kind of an example of that like I have been completely obsessed with succession for the last week and I think the thing if you live with other people you live with a partner as well watching tv at the end of the day can also feel like more of a social thing of maybe friends at work or friends outside or watching the same thing you can feel a bit connected to other people through watching those shows and I think sometimes that's what you need but for me personally, because my succession has finished and I'm really devastated about it, <laughs> I have found that there's a book that I really want to read. Oh. It's made me think about what else I could kind of read or use to fill in the time. And I found there's this book. It is called Trust. So Trust is a literary puzzle about money, power and intimacy. And it's about the history of a family of eccentric aristocrats and how they built their empire in New York City. They have a family myth, which they have upheld for a long time and there's apparently this sort of tenacious woman who's hell-bent on disentangling the family's mythology from how they actually made their money. Mm. So the review of it said it, and I thought this sounded really good, challenges us to rethink everything we know about the institutions on which nations are built and the narratives by which stories are told. So I'm like, this is the perfect thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you can sometimes seeing these things as competing with each other might not be the right way of looking at it. There can be times when they complement each other yes. and one thing leads to another. So this is by Herman Diaz. Okay. Um, came out, I think, a couple of months back. So I'm going to be tracking this down to fill in. <laughs> well, Your succession yeah, gap. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, I've watched The Sopranos. What am I going to do next? Oh, right. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, they can complement each other sometimes, I think. It doesn't have to be so either or. Definitely, definitely. It's like if you've recently gotten yourself uh, binging Bridgerton, then yes. yeah, come to the library and get Julia Quinn's novels that they were based on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else, Andrea, that you do when you experience this kind of slump? So one other thing I have done that I find sometimes gets me over the hump is just saying, I'm not thinking to myself, I'm going to read an entire book, sitting and thinking, I'm going to make a cup of tea and I'm going to read 10 pages or something. Mm. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to read the 10 pages. If I want to read more after that, great. If I don't, I don't. And I often find that you read 10 pages, pretty easily can become 20 pages and you slowly kind of build up your tolerance to reading again. So I think starting small, Mm. not putting pressure on yourself and just enjoying it. So doing with a cup of tea, sitting in the garden when it's nice or on the couch when the house is quiet or, you know, at a cafe or something like that and just giving yourself these small little goals and I think that can really kind of help you ease back in. Definitely. I think that that's good advice for lots of things. Like don't bite off more that you can chew. Isn't there a saying about an elephant eating an elephant or something? Anyway. It probably is, but I'm... Whenever I actually remember them, I always remember them incorrectly. Anyhow, <laughs> I so think I've probably done that like, as well. You have friends looking at you going, that makes no sense. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's about an elephant. It's something about eating an elephant and how you got to, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I was definitely guilty of that with this book because like the mm. time was like creeping on and on. I kept looking at it and it's not a small no, book. No, it's a big one. It's, yeah. yeah. And so I kept looking at it thinking, I have to read that whole book and I should have taken your advice and just thought, I'll read 10 pages right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think might. that's that kind of sense of 
thinking that you're doing something nice for yourself as well. Mm. Like you're making a cup of tea, you're reading 10 pages of a book, you're just doing something that's kind of good for you. you yeah. know, not good in a kind of worthy sense, but good just in a sense of you're looking after looking yourself after and yourself. taking care of yeah. yourself and doing something that gives you something back. And speaking of that, we've got a workshop. If you do want to do something good for yourself and learn something that will be beneficial to you, we've got a workshop coming up in September, so next month, called How to Transform Your Life. And the presenter is going to explore how we can use meditation to improve our resilience in daily life and how this can in turn improve our concentration, relationships, our health and well-being. They're going to talk about simple breathing meditation that you can do anywhere, anytime that you can start to integrate into your life. And I think I should probably <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely do it during a little bit of that. Because, <laughs> yeah, improving concentration definitely would contribute to being better able to sink into a new book. Absolutely. And also October is Mental Health Awareness Month in South Australia. So we're going to have some programming out around that time, October, November as well. So um, keep an eye out for our What's On booklets in the library or online and have a look and see if there's something there that interests you. The other thing we have coming up at the end of November is we will be having a big event at our Hallett Cove branch for people who are interested in starting book clubs. We get lots of inquiries about starting book clubs and at the moment, unfortunately, all of our existing ones are closed, but we plan to do something about that. Mm. So obviously being at a book club is a really fantastic way to get reading again, Yes, to meet new people, to make it more of a social experience. Make it we fun. Have, make it really fun. Yeah. Some of our book clubs have been arguing about books since 2004. Like, <laughs> continuously they have lists of books that they've agreed disagreed the consensus is the best books are the books that divide the room Mm, so so we're really happy we've also got really really fantastic new book kits that we've launched last month so there's lots of really really good books in the collection and books being added to it constantly so we really want as many people as possible to be able to get involved in our book club so at the end of november we'll be hosting an event you'll get to come along Mm. we'll play some literary games you can help us make some selections for the book club so we'll we'll do some voting on what we should buy it's always really good when you tell us what you'd like to read rather than we imagining what you'd like and you'll be able to meet some like-minded people who are really keen to start their own book clubs we're finalizing some of the details but it'll be held towards the end of november we've just made this changes andrea has mentioned to our book clubs to make them more accessible to more people so that more book clubs can be formed that's what this is all about yes yes getting more people reading yeah and it's a lovely way to meet people in the area as well to find your kind of bookish community which can sometimes be a little bit hard Mm. when you get into your 30s and 40s meeting other bookish people can sometimes be a bit tricky so Mm. this event is designed to make it really easy and we're all really looking forward to it we're planning at the moment we're all really excited yeah (laughs) so in keeping with our normal format I thought now we can talk a bit about some literary news. I just wanted to mention that the film Where the Crawdads Sing, which was a huge favourite for us at the branch here, is out in film. just came out last month. Sadly, it's got some kind of mixed reviews. I don't know if you heard much about it, Andrea. I haven't, no. Oh, okay. I, the review. I was sort of avoiding the reviews because I think I'm going to see it. So. Yeah, I should have probably done that, but I just noticed that The Guardian called it soggy oh, no. I know but they always they always publish like six reviews and like half the people love it and half the right. people hate it so yeah that could just be one grump at the guardian <laughs> we were trying to arrange a branch 
outing to go and see it. It's just, oh, it's, it's just too, too hard, <laughs> too hard right now. <laughs> yep. Did you have some news for us? Yes. Probably the first thing I was going to talk about is that the long list for the booker has come out. So 13 titles. I think the short list will come out in October. But one thing that I thought was exciting is that two books that are published locally by text, so an Australian publisher, have made the shortlist. And both of them sound really, really good. Oh, that's so, so exciting. The first one is called Case Study. It's by Graham McRae Burnett and it sounds amazing. I'm going to read just the first little bit of it because it sounds so good. I am convinced, you see, that Dr Braithwaite killed my sister Veronica. I do not mean that he murdered her in the normal sense of the word but that he is nonetheless as responsible for her death as if he had strangled her with his bare hands. So this is about mm. a sister who becomes convinced that a radical psychologist has had some involvement in her sister's suicide. So she poses as a patient and she starts seeing him and these are her notes from these. So that sounds really good in and of itself, mm. but it sounds even more interesting when you find out that it's based on a radical psychologist called R.D. Lang. It was around in the 60s and 70s. Some of the things you might have heard about him is he was famous for giving people kind of high doses of drugs like LSD, oh. other psycho you know, psychedelic kind of drugs, and of having a big, essentially like a big share house where people would stay. He had really radical ideas about mental health and mm. mental illness and what actually constitutes mental illness or not. And he's a hugely controversial figure. So in South Australia or? No, this is in London. Okay. Um, so in England. So this but book this is a local there. author. It's not, it's just published oh. locally by oh, text. Yeah. yeah yep. gotcha. so, it's a, so it sounds really, really fascinating. Mm, so trying to like get to the heart of this story that is totally my kind of book yeah it sounds so good <laughs> so they describe it as kind of like a game of cat and mouse between the therapist and the patient and about who's telling the truth and who's being mm. deceptive mm. obviously she's posing he's i guess playing a particular role so it sounds really good and it's sort of a, a long history of the kind of 1960s radical psychiatry which mm. i think um just sounds really demented. So yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a really polite way of putting it. I'm thinking, no, it sounds crazy. It yeah. sounds like crazy town. <laughs> and it's going to be really interesting to see what they say about it. And the second one published locally by text is called After Sappho. This is by Selby Wynne Schwartz, Schwartz maybe. And it's told as a series of vignettes looking at women in the arts and moments of kind of creative crisis for them that ended up making them the artist they became. So people she looks at include Colette, the French novelist, Eileen Gray, I think she looks at Virginia Woolf. So it's told as a novel. There are not just those big names, but I think there are also a few women who are less well-known, maybe mm. from the visual arts. It says here, it looks at the late 19th and early 20th century and these women as they battle for liberation, justice and control of their own lives. Mm. So I think that sounds super relevant yeah. and really interesting. So, And I, I like the idea of vignettes as well. I feel like that ties in really well with what we're talking yes. about, that like you can say to yourself, I'm going to read four pages about Virginia Woolf's moment of creative crisis. And like, that's amazing. Love that. I love <laughs> I might, that. I might not necessarily do anything else this week, but I feel like that's going to sustain you for a week. Yes. So they're just two from the list. The list looks really good and it's really nice to see some of the smaller presses represented in it as well. I mm. think it kind of proves that lots of really great, interesting writing at the moment is happening in that space by local um, or by smaller publishers. So oh, they're on the list. They're on okay. the very, very long list. <laughs> And I'll put links to all of these book recs that Andrea had for us in the show notes mm -hmm. and also to where the booker long list is. Yeah. And 
did you have some other recommendations? I, I had for what's one coming? more. So text is having a hell of a run at the moment. Wow! Because the winner of the Miles Franklin Award was announced since the last podcast, and it was won by Jennifer Down for her novel Bodies of Light, which ding 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 was published by text right. as well. So they're having a hell of a run. So the Jennifer Downs novel, it's I'll read you a little bit from the bit here. A quiet small town existence, an unexpected Facebook message jolting her back to the past. A history she's reluctant to visit, dark memories and unspoken trauma, warning knocks on bedroom walls and unfathomable loss. She became a new person a long time ago. What happens when buried stories are dragged into the light? Mm. So the Miles Franklin judges described Downs's book as epic, exquisite, and that she writes her heroine story with great empathy and love. Mm. So I have a few friends who've read this one and they've said it's a really extraordinary book, really moving and I don't want to say too much because I feel like if we say anything too much more about the plot, it might kind of ruin what the book's about. But really rave reviews all up and down the country and obviously winning this really prestigious award. And it's available as ebook. It's available in print. We've bought some extra copies for mm. the service. Yeah, I actually read that one, and it is epic. I would s- describe it as a saga. And what you think it's about changes throughout yeah, the novel. Okay. Yeah, it really takes you on a journey. It's not for the faint of heart. Yep. There are some very challenging themes in there, mm. but yeah, definitely worth it. I can see why it was the winner. Cool. So now you've got what's coming out for us. Yes. So probably one of the biggest ones coming out this month is a novel called Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who's oh, the author of Malibu Rising, of course. Daisy Jones and the Six, and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. So this one is about Carrie Soto. She was a champion tennis player who's come out of retirement for one last I'm imagining if it was a film, there'd be lots of training montages, (laughs) (laughs) lots of can she do this? Mm. I think there's like a, she was referred to as the battle axe and she was a fairly controversial, probably quite unpopular tennis player in her time. So it's a bit about, I guess, will she be able to pull this off? Her dad is her trainer, so I think it's got lots of family tension. So it's gotten really good reviews so far and that's available from Penguin Random House a little bit later in the month. Right, now... Taylor Jenkins Reid's books have been, like, Evelyn Hugo was sort of the 50s, then Daisy Jones was, like, the 70s, and Malibu Rising was, like, the 80s. So is this one contemporary, or do you know when it was As far as I know, it's contemporary. No, it's the 90s. Oh, it's the 90s. It is, because she retires after the 1994 US Open, so it's set in the 90s. Okay. I feel conflicted because I hated Malibu (laughs) Rising, but I really liked Evelyn Hugo. So, Ah, yeah, I read that afterwards because my daughter read it, and she said, oh, Mum, I think you might like it, and I, I did. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel about this new one. The reviews have been really, I mean, I guess her books are always really well reviewed. Yeah, they are. I do really like tennis. I'm not a sporty person and I can't really do things like run and catch at the same time. (laughs) But I do like watching tennis in summer when it's really hot. For some reason, I like sports books. I like books about people that I sit and read. (laughs) (laughs) While they play tennis. (laughs) Well, yeah, I do. I love like training montages in films. I love watching people get better slowly. Yeah, yeah. I love the kind of tennis. Tennis satisfying. They won't they? Yeah. (laughs) So I think this one could be a fun one. Cool. The other one, one other sort of biggish one coming out and probably a really good one for fans of fantasy is one called Babel by R.F. Kuang. R.F. Kuang is an award-winning novelist. She won for a series called The Poppy Wars, which was sort of a retelling of Chinese history. But this one sounds really fantastic. So its tagline is, an act of translation is always an act of betrayal. Mm. This novel is set in 1828 
in Oxford University, which is kind of the centre of learning in the world at the time. And it brings in translators from all across the world whose job is to translate texts into English for the British Empire. As far as we know, there is an uprising amongst these translators and this novel has been described as a book that kind of interrogates empire and interrogates language and interrogates who gets included and who gets excluded. Mm. So the question is, can powerful institutions be changed from within or does revolution always require violence? So this sounds like it could be the first in a series and it sounds really, really, really good and really prescient, I think, as mm. well. We're talking lots about who gets included in our stories and who doesn't and who gets to tell it and how it gets told and who decides how it gets told so this sort of seems like a, a really relevant contribution to that discussion I think mm. it's also for sci-fi nerds like Oxford University is such a staple in fantasy fiction <laughs> from like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Mm. Tolkien so the idea of a science fiction book set in this really revered kind of space for science fiction and fantasy dismantling it mm. is a really interesting one as well. There's a collection of short stories by Elsa Fitzgerald. She was the winner of the 2019 Raquel Award for Emerging Writers and her collection of short stories is called Everything Feels Like the End of the World. Mm. It's getting really, really good reviews. Reviews are calling it a lament and a protest song, bursting with ideas, calling it a firework. It's a collection of short speculative fiction looking at possible futures from an Australia that's not so different to what we see now to one that could be quite radically different and one in a future that's almost unrecognisable. So I think it has an underpinning of looking at climate crisis, Mm. but I think speculative fiction seems like it's having a real run at the moment Mm. and it seems like the go-to genre for people who want to explore climate change. Mm, I don't think this book is exclusively about it, but I think all of the stories are somewhat shaped by climate and environment and how that impacts and shapes people's decisions and freedoms and how they live. So I think that could be a really interesting one. I think that seems just to be this genre that people are gravitating to when they want to talk about climate in the future. Mm, and so that's I, got really, really good reviews as well. I have to admit, I, I find spec fic challenging. It's not my favourite. Me too. I love the idea of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I sit down to read it and I'm a bit like... Mm. Oh, I don't know if this is for me, yeah. but I do. <laughs> same, I have same. a friend who managed to read the proof of this one and said it's really fantastic. So okay. I think sometimes with spec fiction, I've kind of found that it feels very abstract and it feels like a very intellectual exercise mm. of exploring. If I put X next to Y, what will happen to Y? And mm. from what I understand, the reason this is getting such good reviews is because the stories are still really, really human. So it's about saying these people have to make really real decisions like should I have a child or not? in a world that's shaped by natural disaster, by warming. And I think for lots of people at the moment you feel like that when you're thinking about do I have children or Mm. do I move countries or things like that can be really underpinned by what kind of a future will, if I have this child in the abstract, what kind of a future will they have and how do I feel about that decision or how do I feel about what the world might look like? So characters, characters that are still relatable. Yeah. Because I guess that's sometimes the challenge I have is that there's this disconnect. Yes. I can't put myself there. From my understanding and from what I've read and from what I've heard from a couple of friends who've read some of the stories already, it is those really human stories and these horny like ethical questions Mm. i think that sounds like a really interesting way of talking about the future how good does that sound like for a book club discussion book it does like yeah it would provoke lots of really interesting conversations i think so and i think it's also really good from breaking your book rut kind of position (laughs) as well like Mm. these short stories that leave you thinking through what would i do in that situation and Mm. if the world looked like that and it's conceivable it could look like that at Mm. some point what 
would I do mm. and how would I feel about the decision? So I think that sounds like a really good one. Hopefully not too anxiety provoking no. though. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> and I have one last one that I wanted to plug. This is called Marlowe. It's by Jay Carmichael and it's published by Scribe. And it is set in 1950s Australia. It's a story of a young gay man who moves from the country to the city. He falls in love, so, so far so good. But it's, I think, asks this really interesting question, like how much can love get you through the challenges of having to live in a world where you face enormous repression? Mm. So what kind of pressure can a relationship sustain? Mm. So that's the question the novel explores. So it looks at the exhilaration of falling in love and the refuge of falling in love when you've been really quiet and private about an essential and core part of who you are. But then how much can you really ask of a relationship when the world is just not set up in a way that allows that relationship to thrive? Mm. So this book sounds really, really fascinating. And apparently Jay Carmichael has done lots of archival research. So he's looked at newspapers, he's looked at photos, he's done intensive kind of research to make sure the way it's described is that the claustrophobia of the world is recreated. So it's not just about getting like historical details accurately, but about how small and confined mm. and tense would the world feel if you were forced to live this way. So that does sound really good. Where, where in Australia is it set? Do you it's know? It's in Melbourne. It's oh, Melbourne. Yeah, okay. so it's set in Melbourne in the 1950s. And it's such a good question as well. Like we can sometimes, I think, have really romanticised ideas about romantic relationships. So a book asking how much can we ask of a relationship to do for us in mm. our life? And I think that does link to like the bigger political question then of like what should the world be shaped like in order for our relationships to thrive Mm. and to be healthy and happy and and meaningful so sounds super good and all relationships not just exactly yeah yeah, traditional ones yeah like what do we need from the world for our relationships to be good and Mm. to allow them to thrive so yeah i think that sounds really good that's the last of my plugs (laughs) (laughs) fantastic oh my gosh you've just told us about so many great books like so many that i want to read i hope so i hope you don't come into work with like a massive copy of Babel and go so it's a dud (laughs) it's crap (laughs) it sounds really good (laughs) well thank you so much Andrea for being on the podcast this month I think despite the fact that we didn't actually or I didn't actually read the book I think this was a successful important conversation to have yeah and I think especially at the moment I think people have lots on their plates and things slip through and things like reading can slip through and I think it's just important to kind of acknowledge that I think sometimes even for people who are really our jobs is to be bookish people to kind of say yeah sometimes it's really rough yeah (laughs) even us I think I think it's important that people kind of know that as well yeah it's okay and there's lots of different ways of getting getting your groove back (laughs) at some point that's right (laughs) yeah so thank you for having me it's super fun so tune back in with us next month and we will be talking about here goes nothing by Steve Tortz. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yes, I really good. want to know what you think now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I have no idea at this point, but yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. It should be fun. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you, Paula. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. So it's set in 1828 in Oxford, and it looks at a group of translators who are working there. But apparently the it <laughs> <laughs> sounds really good why do I keep messing this up I'm going to try it again Jane would do this all the oh, time really? oh that's such a relief okay. <laughs> absolutely don't you find, maybe you're used to it maybe I'm used of your to own it voice now. I don't oh, remember I sound like a chipmunk no you don't <laughs> if anyone sounds like a chipmunk it's me <laughs> not at all